<laughs> see, see, this this is how we should open the show. <laughs> it's just like trying to explain to Richard what lo-fi music is. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Eltrison. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, how are you doing this week? Doing great. Doing great. I'm glad to hear it. Right off the back, a question for you. Do you have a preferred type of rest stop when you go on road trips? Um, what, are the, what are the types? Like, what, are, what is the taxonomy of rest stops? So either a, I would say like a full station service Wawa, where it has, you know, a bunch of gas pumps, plus a great selection of convenience and sandwiches, uh, just a standard rest stop that has no gas, but just bathrooms kind of on a highway, or what I would consider just a gas station, which is gas and very little convenience, kind of similar to like what a seven a limit has to offer, but no hot food. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I think definitely you want the full service if you can get it, right? I recall a um, actually a very sort of it looks like it must have been recently renovated ExxonMobil branded rest stop uh, from last summer that had it was super well laid out because if you were just there to get gas all the gas pumps were like lined up along one side of it so you could pull in and pull out and get gas very quickly if that's all you needed but if you wanted to park and go inside there was like a separate place to do that and there were tesla superchargers along a different access it was just like somebody really actually thought about (laughs) how to direct traffic in this place and and, and was very smart about it so Well, uh, that's a great lead-in, actually, into <laughs> into our news talking about Tesla and and superchargers. So, late last night, uh, Elon Musk tweeted out that uh, Tesla is now removing Bitcoin payment options over energy use concerns. So, Adam, I I know this is a question that you had for him and for Tesla <laughs> about accepting Bitcoin, given the environmental impact that it takes to mine Bitcoin, and I think we have a an answer now they're gonna I stop. mean yeah I, I sorry I called this one <laughs> like it is not Bitcoin is not a currency you shouldn't be using it for purchases uh, and this entire thing I, I really it's just like there's so many things that Elon is doing that are suspicious like pump and dump financial investment schemes and it really seems like this was one of them he he knew he's not stupid he knew that this was going to be an issue and that they shouldn't be doing <laughs> it for a company that is one of their major brand values is is focused on sustainability uh, right. I, like it, 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 he drove up the the price of of, of bitcoin and probably cashed out i would like this is the thing because it's so unregulated we're not going to know if he sold a ton of bitcoin like before he tweeted well, that yeah maybe remember tesla owns the bitcoin Tesla owns the Bitcoin, but semantics. I know, I know okay. semantics. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but it seems like they, I guess in in the tweet I read, they they they, they hadn't sold anything. They're just going to be holding it, but like they won't be purchasing any more. We'll see what happens there. But the cryptocurrency market took a pretty big hit after Elon Musk tweeted uh, the statement. It lost as much as three hundred and sixty five billion dollars. After Elon Musk tweeted Tesla is going to be suspending car purchases with Bitcoin, which also had ramifications on Ethereum, uh, Ripple, uh, they all fell as well. So the money mover or market maker that is Elon Musk in the crypto world uh, has a pretty significant impact on the price of these cryptocurrencies. Anything about Dogecoin? (laughs) Because he's also (laughs) pumping that one up. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, I mean, I think, you know, Doge went, you know, peaked uh, right before Saturday Night Live started last week and then mm-hmm. and then crashed. Um, not it's still up a lot from where, where it was. So <laughs> like, that's the thing is that even though it, everything is down uh, on this news, it's still way up compared to where it was. And I think mm-hmm. that I think it's kind of it's kind of the long con. It's kind of uh, it raises awareness, even if it causes a, a momentary setback. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that 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 is really what he was trying to achieve, um, which is fine. But there's also ways to raise awareness without, you know, <laughs> manipulating financial markets. I don't know. <laughs> well, next up, we got a bit of news from TikTok. Uh, TikTok has begun testing an in-app shopping feature uh, to challenge Facebook. So we always knew these social commerce features were in development. Bloomberg has reported that TikTok has begun working with merchants in European markets, uh, including the, the UK, uh, including streetwear brands label hype uh, to start testing out this new product. I think it's pretty standard. We're going to slowly start to see more and more refined uh, and native social commerce applications within the major platforms, uh, which I think is great. And it's exciting. Uh, and something that I think if you're a brand uh, that it re- relies on e-commerce, or thinking about social commerce uh, to start really be talking to those uh, platforms because that's going to be how you get the information and essentially potentially into the betas to start testing out these new technologies and see how it can impact sales. The the Chinese version of TikTok Douyin has had commerce functionality for a while now, so we knew this was coming. We knew they were excited to bring this to the U.S. Um, I think this is good in that the other major player in uh, social commerce is Facebook, with both Facebook and Instagram actually. So I think it's good that there's a, a you know a serious competitor on this front um, because I think you know YouTube is working on it, but it's moving a little bit slower and it's obviously a little bit of a different use case uh, than yep. some, than the others. And the second bit of news from TikTok is that they are launching a new feature for jobs focused on the Gen Z audience. Uh, so basically, this will be a website that lives outside of TikTok that will allow brands and companies to post jobs, usually uh, entry-level positions uh, for the TikTok audience to find and apply to, uh, as well as allowing individuals to post video resumes uh, for those jobs, so really taking advantage of what TikTok is great for. The job thing is just super interesting. It's it's actually based on just watching user behavior that they saw that you. Users were doing this. We're, mm-hmm. we're sharing uh, sharing jobs on TikTok, and they thought, "Oh, maybe we should make that a formal thing and, and <laughs> see if people actually, you know, want to use it." Um, yeah. So I think that's very cool. I've also seen a lot of resumes be like TikTok videos, uh, especially if you're applying for a social yeah. coordinator or entry level position. Uh, it's people making TikTok videos to show that like they know the platform and how it works, and like they can get an audience around it as like a proof point to say, "Hey, here's why you should hire me," uh, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, you know, and there were some interesting stats that came out this morning that. TikTok by the end of the year is going to have more Gen Z users in the U.S. than Instagram. So, wow. you know, really, really building up the the the, the youth base, and and that they might <laughs> if they're on if they stay on the same same trajectory, they might start to surpass Snapchat uh, in twenty twenty three. But I think that's mm-hmm. a little that's a little forward looking. That, that's that's um you know about as long as TikTok has been around. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I think, you know, they, they clearly have good traction and, uh, you know, interesting new monetization tools. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I guess the only real question now is when are we going to see LinkedIn start to 
uh, copy some of these features and allow individuals to post video resumes. Uh, so one more thing that you can put on your LinkedIn profile uh, <laughs> or help apply with, with like the job process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that that hasn't been a thing, actually, especially over the past year of, of everybody working remotely. You should it's, it's just record yourself in Zoom. It's, uh, it's how everybody's going to interact with you anyway. So if you can't yeah. present well in Zoom, uh, you probably... Uh, you know, can't, shouldn't go have the job. <laughs> <laughs> but super interesting uh, new developments from from TikTok, both on the social commerce side and uh, on the uh, hiring side of things. Uh, next up, Adam, we have some news in the OTT and streaming space uh, from Google and Roku. Uh, Google has uh, basically gone around their contractual agreement with Roku because it has expired for the YouTube TV app. And so instead of having the YouTube TV app on the main um, Roku channel, they are now allowing individuals to access it through the YouTube app uh, directly within Roku. Uh, so kind of a, a little devious there, uh, given that contract negotiations broke down around having a separate you know main hub for the YouTube TV app within Roku's uh, platform. Yeah, so just to be super clear, there, there are two two apps that YouTube normally has in every platform. YouTube, which is what you think of when you think of YouTube, yeah. and YouTube TV, which is their like cables replacements where you, you're getting live television via YouTube. They normally keep them as separate apps. They've now put YouTube TV into the YouTube app on Roku because they're having a carriage dispute uh, with, with between Google and Roku uh, because the future of television is carriage disputes forever until we die. Um, <laughs> um, it, this is something that was happening increasingly in, in the cable sphere and linear TV sphere. And now it's happening a lot in the OTT sphere. They're fighting about a, a lot of things. Um, but I think the interesting thing, a couple of interesting things. One is that, um, uh, Google is basically coming out ahead and, and, playing like 5d chess here with roku <laughs> where they're there google is really negotiating about what about larger issues where they they want them to change some things with search results they want them to change some things with uh with the processors that run in roku devices that they want them to up, be upgraded to support this newer codec that youtube wants to use um, Roku doesn't want to do that because it's going to increase the cost of their devices and they don't want to raise the prices and they don't want to obviously decrease their margin. Google wants them to do that because it costs them less to stream those YouTube streams. There's a lot of things going on here, but, but at the end of the day, I think this, what it is showing is, um, their, their, their market positions and that Google has a very important market position. You can't have a, an, a, a device that plays video without having YouTube on it. Um, and Roku, while they are, you know, the largest of the standalone connected TV streaming devices, they have a weaker market position. There's a lot of competition in that space. If Google pulled YouTube, the main YouTube app off of Roku, it would severely hurt Roku and wouldn't hurt YouTube that much. Um, and, uh, they, that, and there are rumors that that is what they're thinking of doing, that they are thinking of offering YouTube TV subscribers, basically free, probably Chromecast devices. It just says other like TV devices, but probably Chromecast devices, um, as a replacement. And that would really hurt Roku and prop, you know, probably wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't impact YouTube so much. So, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Um, I think the important thing is that it just shows that that Google and Apple actually, even though people dismiss the Apple TV as like a living room device, um, because the Apple TV uses the same app ecosystem as the iPhone and because Chromecast and 
now Google TV, which is sort of their their newer interface, which works more like Roku or Apple TV, because those are both tied to the iOS and Android ecosystem, they pretty much are never going to lose a dispute like this um, with with the other with with content providers. Whereas Roku and Amazon, even though they have larger connected TV footprints, they don't have that larger ecosystem, and because their devices are so inexpensive. Yeah, you might be annoyed at having to replace your Roku and learn how to use a Chromecast device instead. But at the end of the day, it's literally like $25. <laughs> like if they start losing services, people will switch. Uh, there's not a, the, the, the switching cost is entirely in a new user interface. So I, I just think it's like, I don't know, buckle up Roku <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of content providers getting into these carriage disputes, trying to force the device makers to do what they, they want them to do because they don't have a lot to lose. So it's really an interesting, to your point, well, one is very complex, but a very interesting way of like how and in what ways people like have value and how that gives brands, um, you know, leverage in the market. Cause like, it's like a masterclass and it's like brand strategy, you know, or like business strategy. There's like how you can leverage at different parts of your business to understand, like to, you know, get, get people to do what you want or like, kind of like get your way. It's really, truly fascinating. Um, and it's happening daily. Yeah. We talk a lot about super bundles in the media space and especially the video space mm -hmm. as these consumer facing bundles of all of the, these larger ecosystems that, you know, Amazon or Apple or potentially Disney, eventually Google can sort of sell to you as a consumer. But it also shows the, 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 the strength of those varied business models where mm -hmm. Roku, because their entire business is those boxes and the advertising they sell on those boxes and on the Roku channel, um, which the Roku channel is starting to appear in other places, but like speed it up. It's, it's time. Um, but mm -hmm. the, they're in a much weaker position negotiating wise. Um, if Amazon is having the same, like, let's say Google does the same thing to Amazon, who has a very similar offering with the fire TV stick, low cost devices are core to the Amazon video strategy. Um, and just the Amazon device strategy in general if Google gets in this, those same arguments with Amazon, Amazon might not like it, but at the end of the day, they could afford to change the chip in the Fire TV devices and make no profit or take a loss on it because the, they're, they don't care about making revenue on, on Fire TV. That's not like right. the goal. Um, right. they, they can afford, afford that short-term hit if it's going to keep their relationship with Google better and, and keep the device a better offering for consumers. So right. I just think it, it shows the sort of, strength of those those super bundle-esque ecosystems right. um, where you can make those short-term trade-offs for long-term benefits. Right. Well, we'll see how Google is thinking more long-term uh, next Tuesday, May 18th, as uh, their Google Developer Conference, Google I.O., is set to uh, kick off. So we'll definitely have more information next week on how Google is thinking about uh, their product roadmap uh, in, in, in the next coming year. Our last bit of news comes from Snapchat, uh, and they are launching a new creator marketplace this month that is going to be focused on lens creators. Uh, so the idea behind this is that this is a way for them to support the growing creator economy uh, and really, uh, from a brand perspective, help brands get matched with lens developers uh, to create more interesting AR experiences on Snapchat's platform. Um, 
I believe this is something that like they've had in the past, you know, like they, they've had like the lens studio and like the lens marketplace. Uh, but it seems like this is just going to be like a, a version two, uh, to make it more seamless and easier for brands to, uh, start connecting and building, uh, AR experiences. Yeah. I think this is Snapchat just leaning into the trend of these creator marketplaces, which are, uh, becoming more common and, and pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just as the creator economy has matured a little bit, it's, it's, just the platform is starting to offer better tools to match those creators and brands. And I think that makes a lot of sense. We're excited about this rolling out for, for our brands. Uh, and also, uh, please note that uh, next Thursday, Snapchat is having their partner summit where they'll be announcing uh, new products and developments for the Snapchat platform uh, and how they're thinking about the future of Snapchat. We'll be reporting on that as well uh, next week. So uh, stick around. It'll be a really good conversation next week as we have two major developer conferences uh, lined up. Well, Adam, I think it's time for us to round out this conversation with this week's Magna Minute. Hi, this is Michelle Beauvais from the Magna Global Market Intelligence Team. This week, we published a short report on the perceptions and adoption of podcasting as a media channel, just in time for the IAB podcast upfront. Our research found that the number of brands incorporating podcast advertising into their media mix continued to grow in 2020, despite COVID-related budget cuts. 70% of brands also expect that their podcast ad budgets will increase this year, and none of the survey respondents were expecting to cut budgets. Brands are warming up to podcasts, because it is a digitally native media channel that, one, offers a creative alignment for some brands, and two, does not have an ad-blocking issue. Of course, there are still some challenges, including measurement transparency and the relative lack of targeting capabilities compared to other formats. But this has been steadily improving. Overall, we expect podcast advertising will continue to grow and attract brands from all industry sectors. By 2023, the medium will account for 13% of all audio ads, double its 2020 share. You can find out more on our web portal, Atlas. If you're interested in getting access, or if you have any questions, just email info at magnaglobal.com. Thank you. And listeners, that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Floor 9. As always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to myself and Adam on Twitter. I am at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. Adam is at Adam J. Simon. Uh, if you're a member of the IPG Media Rams family, please join us in our Teams channel. We're having a lot of fun in there, a lot of great conversation, talking about the episodes and episode suggestions. Uh, so definitely join. Uh, we'd love to have you. And for everybody, we'll see you all next week for a packed episode of Floor 9, all about the recent developer conferences that are going to be happening with Google and Snapchat. So thank you, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.